You are listening to WCAT Radio, your station for quality Catholic programming. Your selected program will begin right after a word from our sponsor, GroupM7.com, a web design and hosting company. Log on to GroupM7.com today and let them know that WCAT Radio sent you. You know, my finest childhood memories was the Saturday morning movies for about four bits each. My brother and I could split a Coke and a big box of popcorn and watch movies about Tarzan, Jane, and their Amazon River adventures. Well, maybe that's where Jeff Bezos took his name. His Amazon.com is now the largest online retailer in the world. I'm Michael Malfood with Group M7, the oldest and largest website design firm in East Texas. And here's my point. And as usual, it's a good one. If your website is modern and up-to-date, mobile and search engine friendly, it matters not whether you sell a product or provide information about your goods and services, your sales justifiably will increase just like theirs. The world uses the internet. We can improve your website and your email. Look at our giant portfolio at groupm7.com. Since 1995, there's only one web and there's only one group and it's us. It's Group M7. You're listening to WCAT Radio, your home for authentic Catholic programming. Hello and welcome to another edition of St. Paul's Letters to America. This is the program that asks, what if, just what if, St. Paul were alive today? What if he were here to write a letter to America? What if he saw what was going on in our country today and, um, I don't know, maybe had a thought or two about it? And maybe would have a suggestion or two about it. What would he tell us? Well, we can. We we think we're confident, and we're also kind of you know just 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 kind of arrogant. But we think we know exactly what he would what he would tell you. And uh, and so we're going to give you uh, a letter from St. Paul to America today. And why are we so arrogant? Well, it's simply this: um, St. Paul spoke things uh, that are true. We we maintain. And on a lot of programs, we examine and question whether or not that assertion is correct and whether or not they are true. And uh, we would love to have people challenge us and try to prove that they're not. But anyways, um, assuming that they are true, then they're timeless. And they don't change from place to place, from decade to decade or millennia to millennia. They're always true. And if that's the case, then what he told people 2,000 years ago are the same thing. The same thing he would tell us today. So what are we going to talk about today? Uh, what's going on in America that we're going to talk about today? And what letter from St. Paul will we have uh, to, uh, you know, to look at that, uh, that issue in our country? Well, we'll get to that in just a minute. But before we do, uh, I've already uh, delayed too long in doing this, but I want to welcome my co-host, the illustrious Mr. Bob Hennigas. Bob, thank you for being here again. Marvelous, Ray. Good to be here, and uh, good topic today. I, uh, I'm looking forward to this. You're an illustrious kind of guy, aren't you? Don't you just glow? I, I, I'd have I to mean, say— Has anybody he, ever told you that before? Usually when I'm walking off a football field or a <laughs> soccer field, they talk about you know the red glow in my face as I'm exhausted, that oh, sort of thing. Oh, the red glow. Okay. The, but I, besides that, no. Okay, well, anyway, what do you, you think <clears throat> you're glowing? Maybe. Um, okay, next. So what are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about uh, a government mandate that has come down. It is a mandate to perform 
sex change operations. It is a mandate that compels doctors against their will to do them. Is this something that we really want in our country? Why is it not okay for a doctor to say, I think this is going to be harmful to the person. I don't want to do it. And then for that person, you know, if it's the parents of the child, you know, or an adult person, to say, fine, you know, okay, doc, that's fine. You want to be that way, fine. But I'm going to go find another doctor and then go find another doctor. We can't have that. Why can't we have that? Well, anyway, so we're going to talk about that. Um, And, uh, you know, the funny thing about it is if you maintain that, you know, it should be uh, different. It should be that people have the freedom, the doctors have freedom, uh, that, you know, religious institutions, religious hospitals might have, you know, the freedom to say, you know what, this goes against our religion. You know, if you say that, then you're called, often enough, a bigot. You're you're called uh, someone who's who's mean, who's who's not sympathetic. Um, the president of the United, the president of the United States, um, on the first day that he came into office, insu- issued an executive order that dealt with um, uh, the recognition of uh, transgender people and. Uh, what he said, quote from that, and and it was a, it was a an executive order that ordered all federal agencies to relook at all their policies, reexamine all their policies, and try to um, make sure that they didn't discriminate against transgender people. And in this executive order, he said, quote, "It is the policy of my administration to prevent and combat discrimination on the basis of gender identity or sexual orientation." He said, quote, children should be able to learn without worrying about whether they, will be, whether they will be denied access to the restroom, the locker room, or school sports. Well, that all sounds very good. I mean, that all sounds very good. We're not gonna, children should be able to learn without worrying about being discriminated against. You know, uh, people shouldn't be discriminated against. So, obviously, if you're protecting the children and you're protecting people from discrimination, you're you're sort of defending them. You're you're coming to their aid against people who would obviously be, uh, you know, cruel to them in some way or another. I mean, that sounds great. But what if, what if that in order to fulfill these goals, you issue rules that are cruel, that elevate one group over another group? Um, would it not be appropriate to call those people tyrants? Um, to say that they're discriminating, um, that, that they're discriminatory themselves. I mean, if someone says, hey, it's against my religion to perform this kind of an operation. It's against my religion to put men who identify, I mean, they just announce uh, that they feel like a woman and that they want to be considered a woman to put them in the same college dorm room with, with girls. Uh, what if, as a, as, a, as a Baptist university, a Christian university, a Catholic university, you say, you know what, we don't want to do that. That goes against our rules. That goes against our religious beliefs. What if you're a Catholic hospital and say, I don't want to force doctors to perform sex change operations. 
Um, but you're forced to do it anyways. Aren't you discriminating against those people in some fashion or another, against their religious freedom? How do you weigh the balances of one group against another? Is it just simply with an ironclad rule that says, you know, boom, everybody has to do this? Everybody. Could you call it cruel? Could you call it wicked or even evil? If, in fact, there's scientific data that shows sex change operations to young children can produce significant harm, that there's increased risks of cancer and other physical abnormalities later in life, what if it would do real harm to people psychologically and physiologically? Maybe that's the reason why some of these doctors don't want to do this. And, in fact, that is the reason why some of these doctors don't want to do this. Um, But you make them do it anyways. You make them harm people. Is that that cruel? Well, don't doctors take an oath that says, if I remember the Hippocratic Oath, that says they're not going to harm someone? Isn't that part of their, uh, their process to go ahead and do operations, to practice medicine? Yeah. I mean, the... The core part of the Hippocratic Oath is do no harm. And if doctors believe that this will harm, and the government says you do it anyway, you have a law forcing somebody to violate their oath. Is that not cruel? In some, I mean, just, I mean, so if. People say that if you're discriminated against uh, LGBTQ people, unless you agree with our ideas, and they call people who disagree with their ideas bigoted, mean-spirited, et cetera, et cetera, why can't the other people talk to, say, of the government or the people pushing these rules that they're cruel, that they're mean-spirited, that they discriminate against certain groups? Are we going to just get into a back and forth where we just throw names at each other? Does that really do anything? You know, it occurs to me that if, in fact, the way that you get the rules you believe in adopted is to simply say that the people on the other side are bigots and that they're mean-spirited, and that's how you convince other people uh, that, uh, you know, that this is okay, I mean, hey, it's the policy of the administration to combat discrimination, children to be able to learn without worrying about whether we be denied access. Anybody who who uh, opposes these ideas, they're bad people. Uh, if that's what you rely on, are you not saying something about yourself? In other words, if your ideas are good ideas, talk about your ideas. If the only way or the the primary way that you justify your ideas is to call the other person a bad person and that we're really caring people, we don't want to discriminate, we don't want to to hurt other people, so we're the caring people. But everybody who disagrees with us, they're scum and rotten and mean. How can you be caring? Aren't you really saying something about yourself when you – you know, fall to that level. One of the wonders of this program, Ray, is that we think back about a phenomenal gentleman. In fact, the uh, this week I got to read um, the Acts of the Apostles, 
to proclaim that. And it talked about the conversion of, of Saul to St. Paul, who then wrote these letters we're talking about, and the truth that he has even 2,000 years ago. This, the joy that I have is that this throwing the rock of being racist or throwing the rock of discriminating or seems to be very in vogue now. And that in vogue practice will pass, and we will go back to the intellect of putting ideas on the table for their basis and not rock throwing, not calling somebody names in order to get things passed. So that will pass. But St. Paul, 2,000 years later, his ideas are still brilliant. They still fit. They still still work today. And that's why we think so much of him and we proclaim these things is because they've stuck around. This will not People will begin to realize that name-calling and calling someone prejudice or that sort of thing is not going to work. That's just a tactic in order to put something forth that's garbage, that doesn't work. And it'll, it'll pass as well. It's just the difficulty we're going to have in the meantime trying to, have, trying to be able to, uh, to work through these issues. And, of course, the reason why these ideas of St. Paul seem to last so well because they really weren't his ideas, were they? They were from God. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, what we come up with, anything we come up with, um, you know, will you know be temporary. Um, so, anyways, uh, you know that that that's the theory that we constantly in this program try to prove. We actually go about, um, you know, this this examination of St. Paul's letters with a scientific approach, which is. You know, come up with a theory. They're true. They last. They don't change over time. That they produce uh, produce good results, and that's why they last. Take that theory and then examine it. Put it to the test and compare it with other things and see if it really works. Um, and so we constantly, you know, we constantly try to do that. And uh, so, anyways, um, you know, Ray, one of the one of the things I want to add is we have a history in the United States, of being tolerant of those that have reasons, objections to what's going on and not have to do it. The one that I think of is every young man that's about 16 to 18 thinks about what happens if they were drafted. I know I did because it was at the end of the Vietnam War era. And would you, you've, you've taken an oath not to kill, yet you're being trained in the, in the Army or the Navy to kill. And we have a provision, although it's not going to be fun if you claim it, but we have a provision that says you can be a conscientious objector. You can choose not to kill because that's a big deal, right? You can choose not to harm or maim, and then they'll give you another job that is not going to put you in the position where you have to do that. Yet here, and what we're talking about, we're saying to a doctor, you don't get that choice. You don't get to be a conscientious objector. You don't get to disagree with us. You are forced to do something you don't believe in, you believe is ridiculously harmful, and we're going to force you to do that anyway. We have a beautiful history of not doing that. Why is it that we're changing that now, changing the rules to say, I'm in control, I'm God, you will do what I desire and I want as a governmental leader? Seems crazy. Well, I'll tell you what. We've uh, we've already talked about this quite a bit. How, what do you think St. Paul might have to say about it? Oh, my guess is he might uh, let's, let's, might have a word or two. Let's see. Let's uh, let's take a look at that. So from St. Paul, some will turn away from faith. 
through the hypocrisy of liars with branded consciences. They forbid marriage and require the rejection of things that God created to be received with thanksgiving, for everything created by God is good. Now, we took a little literary license with St. Paul's letter. Now, we're always uh, interested in full disclosure, so we usually disclose in an attempt to make things relevant to America in the 21st century, you know, what we did change. And we inserted four words. St. Paul originally wrote that, you know, uh, that people uh, turn away from the faith because they pay attention to people uh, through the hypocrisy of liars with branded consciences because they forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that, that God created to be received from Thanksgiving. So, you know, big issue at the time was, hey, what was kosher food? What could you eat? What could you not eat? But the principle is the same. They do require the rejection of things that God created to be received with Thanksgiving. So if, there's, if the principle that St. Paul enunciated was that, hey, God created certain foods and everything that God created was good and therefore rejecting something that God you know, created is you know, not necessarily something you, have, you should follow, why can't you apply that to people? It probably never occurred to St. Paul that people would reject the, the, the sex and the gender they were born with. But if it's certainly true for the foods you eat, then it certainly would that you put into your body. It certainly should be true of your body itself. Wouldn't it, couldn't you legitimately say, "Hey, God created, you know, men and women"? And uh, wait, wait, the passage, you know, and he saw that at the end of you know, at the end of his, his creative acts, he he looked at what he had created and saw that it was good. So God created man and women as part of you know, and saw that it was good. Um, so I, th- I think it's good as well, quite frankly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So anyways, so there's, there's two principles here in this, this passage from Paul. Hypocrisy. And, and people, people will turn you away from, uh, from things that you, that you shouldn't be turned away from through hypocrisy. And they have branded consciences in doing so. So these people that are are preaching this this message to us today that doctors have to perform certain operations, would they, could we show that they're hypocritical? Because if we can show that they're hypocritical, um, then, then perhaps, you know, St. Paul has a point. And, um, you know, also this, this idea of his that, you know, there's, there's a rejection of things, of good things that are created by God. Could we, could we, Perhaps you know say that as well because if that's the case, then these you know the the, the sex and the gender that people are born with if that's good, then if we change it, perhaps you would expect that maybe you'll you'll get results that are bad. Could we prove that? All right, so that that's our task. Are these people hypocritical? Uh, and uh, uh, and uh, and will will you know bad results come from it? Now, mind you, um, this is not in any way to suggest that people that you know ident- you know that have gender dysphoria they're they're confused about their gender they don't feel comfortable uh, with with their sexual identity that they want to have a different sexual identity. There is nothing that uh, is going to be said here that should suggest or be construed to suggest 
that there's any kind of ill will or discrimination or, or, or negative kind of reaction that should be given to those people. Um, we just got through saying, if we're quoting St. Paul, we gotta, we gotta quote, we gotta, we gotta be true and to what he said, uh, and believe all of it. And what he said is that God, you know, things that God creates should be received with thanksgiving. And, you know, all of God's creatures have to be received with the same kind of love that God has for them. There's nothing to suggest that any kind of ill will should be harbored against anybody. Um, but that being the case, let's let it, you know, we, 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 sh- we should be talking about whether or not as a whole society should be, you know, forcing people to adopt certain, certain ideas. So first off, this whole business about, you know, gender identity um, is something that came front and center with a, a, a college in Missouri. It's a Christian university. Uh, it's College of the Ozarks in Point Lookout, Missouri. And they filed a lawsuit recently. There was an order from the Department of, of Housing that was issued in February that ordered transgender-identified biological men into female dormitories, that they be assigned female roommates. The college challenged this and filed a lawsuit saying basically this rule was adopted even without public comment. When the federal government adopts rules, uh, they always, should always, are meant to always, uh, put it out as a proposal and allow the public to comment on it. Rulemaking is done by administrative agencies who are not elected. And so it has always been the you know the 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 protocol that you know government agencies elicit comments from the public. Well, that wasn't done here. Anyways, this this college is an interesting college. It's called uh, hard. By the way, it's called Hard Work U. Uh, colloquially, it's, that's how it's known to the people who go there. It's a tuition free college because all the students work while they're they're students there. Anyways. Um, Franklin Graham, he's a well-known uh, Christian evangelist. He praised the, the college for filing this lawsuit, said that it was a bold stand, and also tweeted, can you believe this government overreach? You've got the government mandating biological males have to be put into dorm rooms with female students. And do we ask the female students whether they're okay with this or do we just do this? I mean, do we ask the colleges if they're okay with this, or do we just – no, this is an order from the government. You must do this. Well, I know one group, including myself who's in this group, is the father of a young lady that is going to college. Would most adamantly disagree with this said rule. I, I do not think that I would desire my daughter to be put in a room with – to share a room with someone who was – male, right, and saw themselves as transgender. I would prefer she be put there with another young lady that was born a young lady. That would, I, I, I wouldn't guess too many fathers would, would, uh, would be in favor. There will be some, uh, and that would be okay, but I think there'd be a big group that would be against this. Yeah, what about the girls themselves? I would guess that might be a pretty good group. I, you know, what if what if a girl doesn't want to have you know right. a dorm room assigned with some biological male? Absolutely. Well, what if she doesn't? What if she doesn't want to do that? I mean, you just get assigned. So, but this is this is this is a government order. You have to do this. Um, there's um, 
a group in Oregon, another another example of, of what's going on. Uh, there's a group in Oregon called the Religious Exemption the Religious Exemption Accountability Project. And they filed a lawsuit uh, against the Department of Education trying to make sure that um, religious or faith-based colleges uh, don't receive any grants or loans or federal assistance. So if you're a student that goes to, for example, you know— uh, Hard work you. Hard work you. If you go to the College of the Ozarks, you go to some faith-based college or university, you can't get, you can't get any federal loans. You can't get any student loans. Uh, you know, you can't get uh, you can't get any, fed- any grant money. You just can't unless um, unless you agree with you know these these government mandates. Um, and so this is what this is what you know people are, are facing now. It's it's um, it's a situation where you're being forced to do things, and that's certainly true with this with this other lawsuit that was. Um, well, it wasn't a lawsuit that was filed, but it was an appeal that was filed, and it's it's what we started this program talking about, which is uh, there's it's forcing doctors in, and hospitals to uh, uh, you know do sex change operations or provide um, sex change hormone treatments. Uh, this is a lawsuit that um, well, there was one that was filed in, for example, in uh, uh, North Dakota. Actually, there were two. Uh, that were filed so far. In, in both cases, the courts ruled that uh, this mandate, this transgender mandate, uh, directing hospitals and, and doctors to do these these types of treatments, that they violated uh, the religious freedom uh, that these doctors and universities had, and they declared both of the, the both of these uh, court decisions that declared the law unconstitutional. Well, the secretary of uh, Housing and uh, excuse me, the Secretary of, of HHS, Department of Health and Human Services, he uh, just filed an appeal uh, of those, and so they're going to try to get those decisions overturned. They're going to try try to enforce what is known as this transgender mandate. And by the way, the lawsuit that was filed in uh, North Dakota, one of these decisions that came out and said this was unconstitutional, involved uh, a plaintiff called the Religious Sisters of Mercy. And the Catholic Benefits Association. So, if you're a healthcare provider or your insurance provider, you're being forced to do this. So, here we've got another lawsuit against the Religious Sisters of Mercy. There's a, there's a famous case against the you know Little Sisters of the Poor. We're gonna. So now we have the government coming down on nuns, and we've got the government coming down on doctors against their Hippocratic oath. We've got the government, you know, coming down on on hospitals if you dare to employ one of these doctors who says, based on my Hippocratic Oath, I don't want to do this. As a hospital, you're going to be responsible for that doctor. As a hospital, you're going to be subjected to severe financial penalties and consequential damages. So now these doctors, if they want to stand on the Hippocratic Oath, um, likely will not be able to find a job in, a, in, a, in any hospital. You know. so, this, so we've got the government telling everybody, this is what you will have to do. So what about this transgender mandate? Is it actually um, is it actually harmful? So let's take a look at it. Um, so uh, there have been various studies uh, that have been done on this. The World Professional Association for Transgender Help. This is a, by the way, this is a study that was recognized 
um, and referenced in the materials that uh, HHS used in coming down on this mandate. This was a this was a, a study that was accepted by the government, and this study itself said that in most children, quoting in most children, gender dysphoria will disappear before or early in puberty, up to ninety four percent of the times. Uh, there were two studies that it relied on. Uh, one, one, in one set, one set of studies, uh, the rate was seventy-seven to ninety-four percent, and another one seventy-three to eighty-eight percent. So, somewhere in the range of eighty to nine percent of all of them, basically said children will grow out of this gender dysphoria naturally. So, if that's the case, and you mandate that, hey, if you know, if you've got some child that comes before you because some psychiatrist or psychologist says, hey. You know, this this should be done to this child. And then you perform that hormone treatment, you perform that surgery, and then they would have grown out of it by the time they got through puberty. What have you done to the child? Now you're changing the child um, into something that it's not. I mean, the whole idea of, of this transgender movement is to recognize people for what they are and that if they're born biologically into one gender, but really, emotionally, intellectually, whatever, inside they feel like a different a different gender, then that's what they truly are and that we need to recognize that. Well, if they would have grown out of that by the time they get through puberty, but they've already been changed before then, then we violated this principle we're supposed to be upholding because now we're changing them into, in fact, something that they are not. It's it's amazing to me, Ray, in that um, we won't let people drink until they're 21 by law, right? But we're allowing sex change operations, which 90% of the cases, the people will probably change back the other direction, and we're allowing that to happen. That just seems crazy. I think that's what I just heard. Mm-hmm. It seems to me that that's absolutely crazy. We can tell someone, no, alcohol is bad for you. You can't have it. Yet a sex change operation, that in, there's a 90% chance that the, this child is going to go back the other way, flip their mind, we're going to allow that to happen. Stunning. And, you know, I mean, it's just as an example of what can happen to a child, you know, through, through hormone treatment um, is, for example, you can have a, a girl that goes through hormone treatment to be a man, and then uh, her voice will get deepened as a young girl permanently um, through the hormone treatment. And so then if you've grown out of it by the time you go through puberty, but you're still left with a male-sounding voice, wouldn't that create psychological stress? Uh, You know, now you're halfway between a man and a woman. You know, there's psychological uh, you know, difficulty, harm that could be done here. But besides just the phys- just besides just the, uh, the psychological, another study, also relied on by HHS, was done by the Institute of Medicine of the National Academies, and they noted that transgender individuals may be at increased risk for breast, ovarian, uterine, and prostate cancer, which I, what makes some sense when you start you know, uh, giving people hormones that 
uh, are not natural, you know, for uh, for their physiological makeup. Uh, further, it said longer duration of hormone use may well exacerbate the effects of aging, such as cardiac or pulmonary problems. Um, again, I mean, you're making a body into something that it's not, and there could be uh, real physical repercussions to this. And so a doctor may well, looking at these studies, um, other increased risk, type 2 diabetes, uh, type 2 diabetes, as well as bone development. Bone development. I mean, so a doctor could easily look at these studies and say, you know, uh, maybe we ought to wait till after puberty because what you're doing here could, in fact, really harm a person. So do we really know? I mean, you should be very cautious about this. Do we really know that this is what this person wants? And if it's just a young child before they've gone through puberty, the child can't really know. And so if you have a psychiatrist or a psychologist that suggests that this should be done or recommends this should be done, now you're forced to do it? Um, you know, I mean, this is these are not, you know, what we're quoting here are studies that were relied on by HHS. Um, and so if at a minimum we have some studies that say one thing, and I think the, the ultimate result of the, of the HHS um, examination, they, they, they had a panel look at this, and their ultimate conclusion was that there were some studies that suggested there were benefits and there were some studies that suggested that there were harmful effects and that we can't really determine what the real answer is yet. But we're going to make the law anyway. So are we following the science? If the science says we don't know enough yet, but we make the decision and it's mandatory, and in some cases, and for a lot of these people, you know, produces irreversible effects. Um, why? Are we following the science? No, you know, it's, it's not objective. It's, this is not rational. This is not about what these studies say. This is not about what the science says because the science is inconclusive. It's about what we want the studies to say. Sure. We, we do lots of things to help protect children as we should, right? We, uh, we do not allow them to drink. We do not allow them to be put in the army or – uh, until an older age. We we do a lot of things to protect them. They can't own real property um, because they might not make good decisions about that. All of that being said, with the fact that 90% of these kids go back the other direction, would say, boy, you sure ought to wait until you're doing this, and until you're sure. I uh, I just don't – why would you do this so early? Why would you do something that's going to be 90% chance of being reversed? Why would you do something that early? that could cause effects. Seems like we're not taking care of our kids. It seems to me we're not taking care of the loved ones. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, we've got that responsibility. And if you're Amen. making these rules and these laws, you've got that responsibility. Um, and doctors have that responsibility as well. And, you know, we're not going to rely on the doctors. Um, I mean, why? So there is another – there is a, a study uh, published uh, by the Yale School of Public Health in October of 2019. And uh, it published the results from the first total population study on gender transition procedures and their effects on mental health. The data showed, quote, 
no advantage of either hormone therapy or surgery in relation to subsequent mood or anxiety disorder-related health care, close quote. So no advantage of either hormone or surgery uh, for these, you know, from, these psychologi- from, from the psychological perspective. Um, there's, a, there's further evidence. Uh, there's a doctor by the name of uh, Miroslav Georgievich, uh, and uh, I, I guess he acquired uh, worldwide fame a couple decades ago one of the premier genital reconstruction surgeons. Um, and so he was out front, um, out front and center world, on a worldwide basis for doing these types of operations. Well, he's changed his position. Over the last five years, he's been overwhelmed. He says he's been overwhelmed by the number of people who have approached him about reversing the procedure. He tells them, to try to reattach certain physical parts. Uh, it's going to be complex. It's going to involve a number of operations. It's going to be excruci- excruciating. It's going to be expensive. He says these people don't bat an eye. Um, they told him about, quote, crippling levels of depression, close quote, with intense suicidal thoughts. Crippling levels of of depression, intense suicidal thoughts. They want this, re- and then they want it reversed. He says this, quote, he says they came, he says, quote, they came from countries all over the Western world, Britain included, united by an acute sense of regret, close quote. Um, but people don't want to hear about this. There is a university in England uh, which was uh, approached with a request to at least do some research. There's an application uh, given to them to at least do some research on this remorse that this doctor was encountering from his patients. They refused to even do the study. People don't want to hear this. We don't want to know what the science says. We want the science to say what we, th- what we think it should say. The DSM-5, the DSM-5, so... The American uh, Psychiatric Association's Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. I believe it's the most recent edition, the 2013 edition. It is the Bible, if you will, uh, for psychiatrists. Uh, it's commonly known as the DSM. It is the standard you know, for, for psychiatric practice. Well, according to the DSM-5, as many as 98% of gender-confused boys and 88% of gender-confused girls eventually accept their biological uh, sex after naturally passing through puberty. Same kind of numbers that we in these other studies that we quoted. There's all of this medical science that overwhelming numbers. You're talking 80, 90, up to 98% of people grow out of this. And we're going to do this to them anyways. And then they're going to try to have it reversed. And even after all of that, and we know of all of that, the government's going to mandate this. It's going to mandate this. There was a 2009 study done. I'm just going to keep quoting studies. 2009 study, Department of uh, Psychiatry at Case Western Reserve University. Um, And they found that most of the people struggling with gender dysphoria, 90% was their their finding, 90% had at least one other significant form of psychopathology. 
they had psychiatric problems of one sort or another. Um, and even in a country like Sweden, even after receiving this surgery to supposedly you know, help their gender dysphoria, suicide rate, even in Sweden, where um, you know, it's, it's, it, it, it's very liberal in this regard, and you would think people don't uh, receive you know, stigma you know, for doing this type of thing. Uh, even in Sweden, suicide rate among these people who have this type of treatment, 19 times higher. Is it not possible that we're really doing harm, but you have to do it anyway? You have to, Ray, you just have to feel for someone that has these difficulties, that is unsure. That's got to be just a, a, a great bit of trauma and difficulty to go through this and to not know. And then to add medical procedures to this, right, that are going to be very difficult to reverse and add that to it, it's just going to cause them all kind of trouble. It seems as if we're almost adding to the pain and suffering that these folks are going through. Um, why, If that many want to reverse, if they want to flip back, if they want to go the other way, you, as, a, as an adult, as a parent, you would want to stop that from happening until the final decision seemed to come around. I just, it, it's horrible that they're in this position and then we add fuel to the fire by helping them do something that probably they're going to want to reverse anyway. You know, we started, we quoted a letter from St. Paul, and we put ourselves, we put to ourselves a task. Could we show any hypocrisy uh, from the people who are coming down with this mandate, trying to enforce this mandate? And could we show good or bad effects from this? Well, uh, the hypocrisy seems to be there. You have studies, medical studies, not off-the-wall studies from people you've never heard about, but from Yale, from Case Western, from you know, major you know, uh, places. And, uh, and the results are not you know, 51 to 49. There's this talk of, hey, 80, 90 percent of, of people you know, um, you know, not having this problem that we're going to you know, use as justification for committing – perpetrating surgery on them. Uh, but we don't listen to those studies. But we say we're following the science. Is that not hypocritical? Is that not hypocritical? We, we say we're going to be helping people, but there's real danger of doing harm. Is that not hypocritical? Um, you know, and, and St. Paul said that, you know, people will be led astray um, by people acting and thinking hypocritically because they reject the things uh, created by God and that the things created by God are good. And here you've got a situation. So we set ourselves the task of finding out, hey, whether, you know, when you say that, or when people with these religious beliefs, uh, you know, who, you know, the government says, you know, you don't have the right to exercise those beliefs. Um, when people say, you know, hey, you know, if you're born this way, you're born as a man, born as a woman, that's created by God. I mean, that, that's, my, that's our belief. We say that, that, say that, you know, that's what we believe. Oh, you don't believe that? Okay, fine, but that's what we believe. Um, and that it's good. It's created by God and it's good. And then you disagree and you say, no, you know, that, that's, you know, that religious belief is, is, is ancient, it's archaic, you know, we don't need it. 
Okay, so what's the test of who's right? Would a test be whether or not um, you're creating good effects or bad effects? If you, if in fact these people with the religious beliefs are correct, then and and the same Paul says what's created by God is good. Then if you go against that creative will, you're going to produce things that are not good. Well, we're talking about you know increased risk of cancer. We're talking about severe psychological you know, uh, depression, suicidal tendencies, you know, all of these negative effects. Is that not an indication that, you know, if not the, the, the people with the religious beliefs are correct, that at least you ought to allow them to exercise those religious beliefs because they could be correct. Why are we so sure that they're so wrong that we have to mandate these things that could cause harm. And even and if they do cause harm, and if a doctor believes they cause harm, it doesn't matter anyways because it's hypocritical. It doesn't matter. We're going to force, force the doctors to do harm. Um, that's America today, to, at least to some extent, uh, at least if these people who are exercising this, this governmental authority get to have their way. That's America today. Um, if, you know, and we could talk about statistics uh, and you can talk about things in the abstract. But to take it to a personal level, uh, if you look at an individual person and what it's like to live their life after they go through something like this, that often creates a whole other perspective. It makes it real. Now, there's a very famous case involving a couple of twins known as the Reimer brothers back from the 1970s, 60s and 70s. And there was a Dr. John Money at John Hopkins University who maintained that the sex that you're born with, um, this so-called, you know, uh, created in the, you know, the image of, of God, the, you know, the, 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 you know, the God created male and female, that's just, uh, that, that, that's just something that, that we, you know, that, that we come up with um, in our head that really what you are as a man or a woman is something that you can decide. And so he maintained this. And so he took this case. There was a, there was a kid born in 1965 in Canada, and somebody tried to do a, a circumcision, and they botched it, and this poor kid was maimed. And so the parents thought, well, here's th- this kid, and he's, he's supposed to be a boy, but he's going to go through his life not really being a boy because, like I said, he was maimed. And uh, so they wanted to help him. So they allowed this John Money at John Hopkins to perform a sur- surgical operation on him. They made him into a girl. Um, and it was touted as a great uh, proof of this theory that the sex you're born with is not one that you have to accept. Uh, but whether we accept it or not, that's up to our decision. Um, and so they looked at this case as perfect because you've got a couple of twins they both got the same genetic makeup. Right? And if, in fact, you can take one of these twin boys and change him into a girl, and he becomes and he lives a healthy, normal life as a girl, then, in fact, this physiological thing is not the determining factor. You know, we get to decide how we think of ourselves. That's the determining factor. So how we identify with ourselves, our, that's the determining factor. And so all through the 70s, he performed this operation on this boy. And all through the 70s, there were articles published about how a, 
uh, you know, how great a success this was. Well, along around the late 1970s, those articles started to disappear. And there's a, a man who wrote a story about this. He was a writer for Rolling Stone magazine, still a contributing uh, writer for Rolling Stone magazine. His name is uh, John uh, Calapinto. He co-authored a book with one of these twins, and it was called As Nature Made Him, The Boy Who Was Raised a Girl. Uh, and he co-authored this book with David Reimer, one of these these twins. Um, that won a national – he originally uh, published an article about this in Rolling Stone magazine won a national magazine award. Uh, later it was uh, made into a book. Um, and so Mr. Uh, Calapinto wrote an article in 2004 at Slate.com. Uh, at Slate.com. And um, – so both Rolling Stone and Slate, they're not you know, known for being conservative by any stretch of the imagination. But Mr. Calapinto wrote this article in 2004. And he said, just shy of a month ago, I got a call from David Reimer's father telling me that David had taken his own life. He had gone into a grocery store parking lot with a shotgun and used it on himself. And he wrote this article because after David's suicide, press reports cited an array of reasons for his despair and what led to the suicide. Bad investments, marital problems, etc. He called such explanations uh, just um, uh, absurdly reductive. He said that David's blighted childhood was never far from his mind. He spent a lot of time with David in order to write this book of, which gave you the story of David's life, and so he got to know him. And what he recounts in this book is that at age two, uh, Brenda, that was the name given to David when he was younger, angrily tore, tore off her dresses. She refused to play with dolls, would beat up her brother, seize his toy cars and guns. In school, he was relentlessly teased or she was relentlessly teased for her masculine uh, walk, uh, tastes, behaviors. She complained to her parents that she felt like a boy. Um, her parents, on strict orders from Dr. Money, insisted that the child was only going through a phase. Kept this, kept this hidden. This, this operation was done. I think the boy was. I think this, the boy was like eight months old when they did this operation on him. And they kept this, so he didn't remember it, and they kept it all secret from him. Um, her mother, our, well, Brenda's mother, her mother, his mother, uh, became guilt-ridden. She attempted suicide. Uh, the child's father uh, became an alcoholic. His twin brother uh, fell into drug use, petty crime, and clinical depression, and he took his own life as well from an overdose of uh, some antidepressants. Uh, two years before David committed suicide himself. Good effects or bad effects? Um, at 14, he was finally told the truth. He was going through so many problems, uh, a local psychiatrist finally convinced the parents they needed to tell the child the truth. He said, quote, Sudden, uh, the child said, quote, suddenly it all made sense why I felt the way I did. I wasn't some sort of weirdo. I wasn't crazy. Poor kid thought he was going, thought he was nuts. After this, he had a double mastectomy, 
to remove the breasts that had been grown as a result of his estrogen therapy. Multiple operations had a, a prosthesis grafted onto him, testosterone treatments, et cetera, et cetera. By his early 20s, he attempted suicide regardless. Didn't, I mean, this is what kids go through. You try to reverse it. The reversal is never as good as the original. Uh, and he attempted suicide by the time he was in his early 20s. Um, you know, so this is, uh, uh, you know, this is, um, this is the story of a boy who went through this type of thing. And this is going to be mandated now by the government, even if a doctor thinks, looking at, for example, the David Reimer case, looking at the various studies that have been done by these other universities, that this could do harm. And being a doctor and, being, and wanting to take care of the people put under your care, you don't want to do a harm. But the government is going to insist you do it anyway. Uh, and if you say, hey, you know, um, just from the basis of science, I don't think this is a good idea, or from the basis of religion, that this is not right, you're uncaring or bigot or something of that nature, and we have to make sure you don't get to, you know, perpetrate your 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 bigotries and you know uh, the, you know these these bad you know characteristics that you have. You don't get to perpetrate them on other people. And where the government going to going to protect uh, others from your bad behavior? Um, this is where we are in 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 our country, um, and uh, so it's. It's in our colleges. It's it's in society at large, um, you know. Um, and if, in fact, we're not going to listen to the science to the science on this, or you know, if the science is inconclusive, make a conclusive judgment first, and then wait for the science later. We're being hypocritical when we say we follow the science, and if we say we're caring, but we do harm to a lot of people, like David Reimer. Um, then we're not really caring. We are, we're hypocritical. Um, so, in any event, um, perhaps, perhaps St. Paul, you know, was right about the people who forbid uh, marriage, uh, as he termed it. So, anyways, um, that's uh, that's our discussion for today. Uh, we hope it's been provocative, uh, interesting. Um, we hope uh, that uh, that you have uh, uh, you know enjoyed your time here. Uh, and as we close every program, we're going to ask uh, Bob to uh, give us a final prayer. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, allow us to truly listen to you. To not put our own opinions and wills into this. To truly listen to you and your truth and what that is. Allow us to always lovingly fight for what it is you desire, but understand that we are fighting a difficult battle, and always, no matter what, to love those that oppose us. Loving you, Lord, is easy. Loving those that oppose us is difficult. Yet you taught us this through your Son. Jesus would even love those that would harm him. Allow us to love others. Allow us to try to fight for what it is that you desire. 
and allow us to always do your will. Sometimes we see it as hard to do that. It's hard to find the truth. But if we look at all the wonderful people that you've inspired through time, including the wonder of St. Paul, allow us to listen to his words, allow us to listen to his thoughts, and allow us to do the right things to take care of others in our lives. We pray all this in the wonderful and glorious name of your Son, who is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son, Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Until next time, God bless. Hello, God's beloved. I'm Annabelle Mosley, author, professor of theology, and host of Then Sings My Soul and Destination Sainthood on WCAT Radio. I invite you to listen in and find inspiration along this sacred journey we're traveling together to make our lives a masterpiece and, with God's grace, become saints. Join me, Annabelle Mosley, for Then Sings My Soul and Destination Sainthood on WCAT Radio. God bless you. Remember, you're never alone. God is always with you. Thank you for listening to a production of WCAT Radio. Please join us in our mission of evangelization. And don't forget, love lifts up where knowledge takes flight.